Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I am very happy and prosperous, Darren. (laughs) Fantastic. This is a special episode on a number of levels. The first one is that this is the first time myself and Andrew are recording in the same physical space since back in March when we recorded Infernal Affairs. So this is a very strange situation that we're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the the uh, foolishness, um, recklessness. I reckless think is how you would describe it. Yeah. Um, but it's okay because we are less than six people from less than four different households. So I think we're okay for the moment. That's right. Yeah. We we uh, as as Phil Hogan um, <laughs> said, demonstrated. We, we we haven't broken any rules. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I would say that actually there's there's a very special reason for that, and we'll get to that in a moment. The other thing that makes this podcast episode very special is that it is a movie that is not actually on either the 250 or the bottom 100. It's that relatively rare case where we are covering a movie that has never been on either list. So I'm very, very happy about that. And that brings us to the third thing about this episode that I think is fantastic, which is that it was Andrew's idea. <laughs> no, because like, again, recurring joke on the 250 is that man is responsible for his own suffering and the continuing of his own suffering and the eternity of his own suffering. And, you know, it's a recurring joke in this podcast is Andrew suggesting things and me making Andrew do things and Andrew suffering as a result of those things. You know, like doing the podcast in general or the apparently yeah. unending season of Martin Scorsese movies that we're doing. But I did think it was a, it was nice that Andrew suggested that he would like to talk about Cundin. Um, yeah. And I think that's kind of interesting because when we launched this season a couple of weeks ago with Taxi Driver, we were loaded with guests. So we didn't actually get a chance to talk to either of our two co-hosts about their relationship with Martin Scorsese. Now, we're going to talk to Jay next week because we're going to be doing Jay's wildcard selection next week. So, Andrew, do you remember the first time you saw a Martin Scorsese film? <laughs> Sorry, the first time I saw a Martin Scorsese film. Yeah. like that, just... Or that you remember it being a Scorsese film or what your general... Sorry, it feels like now that we're in the same physical space, it feels very much like therapy. Can, would you like to discuss your relationship with Martin Scorsese? Yeah, I feel like I, I I probably just got that there were Scorsese movies a lot later. I think it was probably when I saw Casino that I realized, oh, this this is this is like Goodfellas. It must be the same guy. Uh, um, yeah, the, but but I think with with stuff like um, Cape Fear and. Goodfellas, I probably didn't guess that it was the that it was the same director. So I don't know. I don't know when my awareness started. Okay. Probably probably with Casino, because that was kind of that was pitched a lot anyway to me as, 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 or, 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 or at the time as a kind of a follow up to Goodfellas from the yeah. man, from the guy who brought you Goodfellas. Basically. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which is which is odd, I guess, because of how much stuff he had done. Kind of Apart from that, but, but I guess because it had been so patchy, yeah, um, yeah, his long lost eighties, um, and most yeah. directors were killed for an eighties like Marty's. To be fair, but well, still. like like most um, most people kind of lost the eighties, you know, like <laughs> like like a lot of people don't like uh, David Bowie because they're like, oh yeah, he's that lad from those movies and stuff. And now some people have fondness for the movies. Take but, that, Labyrinth. But, uh, and Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Right. And overlapping with this podcast, The Last Temptation of Christ as well. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. 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 He plays Punch's Pilot. Oh. The role was originally intended for Sting. I see. That's not a joke. No, um, that, 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 um, that could have been good. 
guess. Now imagining Dune, but with I David am Bowie. I'm imagining, yeah, him in just the loincloth. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, um, okay, so, like, as we've been doing this Scorsese season, and as we're halfway through, we've joked that you've been the witness of the prosecution. So, are you, would you consider yourself fond of Martin Scorsese? Or do you have any particularly strong opinion about him in terms of your, your favourite directors, your least favourite directors? So, um, it's... It's difficult to put forward an opinion of him based on some of the movies that we've seen already because there are lots of seasons to um, Scorsese, which is why I think it was a good thing that we covered this movie. Yes. Um, because this is a, a specific genre of Scorsese, of Scorsese movie. movie. That isn't on the 250. Yeah, that isn't particularly well represented. Exactly. So it's the, like the temptation of uh, of Christ, Gundun, and Silence. Silence as well. And I mean, we argue even go back and say Mean Streets as well, to pick an earlier example as well. Well, yeah, there, the there, there, are, there are the obvious examples, and then there's every other Scorsese movie, movie you can which, shoehorn in. Which is also <laughs> um, like an example, if you want to kind of say... Um, or like... like um, Who's that knocking at the door? At my door. At my door. Who is that knocking at? <laughs> at <my door. laughs> well, it's not mine. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, they, 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 which is itself kind of like uh, tied up in that kind of Catholicism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, they, this, like an actual movie about a religious figure. I guess. And central. And again, we, like we've touched on it in movies like Casino, and we touched on Taxi Driver as well. I think we did on Raging Bull as well. Religion being kind of you know, essential to Scorsese as a filmmaker. Can I ask about Kundun then? Because this is the movie right. you picked. At the start of the season, we gave our two co-hosts a wild card each. A, a Scorsese movie they could pick. We didn't. We, we didn't. We retroactively decided that we didn't. Um, um, we we're, we're like Thelma Schoenmeck. Yeah, that's it. Um, you haven't, the first episode hasn't been released yet. It's grand. We can go back and do anything. Um, yeah. But no, more seriously though, like Scorsese and like Thelma Schumacher, uh, we decided continuity editing was less important than actual mood. So we gave you both wild cards. Okay, the reason I went for this is very yes. simple. It's the, uh, the Philip Glass soundtrack. That's it. Um, that's, really? yeah. yeah. I've, not I've, the Buddhism, not the... Not the I, uh, well, no, Lama. I wanted to have like a kind of a, a, a quieter... Um, Scorsese movie to 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 cover to kind of represent that, but most of the most of the reason, um, like the reason I was drawn to the movie, um, was because of the uh, Philip Glass uh, uh, soundtrack because I I, I I quite enjoy um, Philip Glass, Glass and um, and then learning about this kind of movie behind the uh, the soundtrack, obviously. Um, I, I was just kind of drawn to it and I wa- wanted to to um I guess add a li- um this kind of flavor um to to the season. Yeah. Can I ask actually had you listened to the soundtrack before you saw the movie? Was like Oh yeah, loads. Yeah. So yeah. you were familiar I've, with this I've, from way back. Yeah, I've li- I've 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 listened I've listened to 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 to, to the soundtrack quite a bit, yeah. Would it be similar to say Mishima um to pick another Scorsese collaborator? Yeah, right? well the 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 two kind of um, Mishima and Koyan Skadi were the two kind of glass um, albums that I probably listened to um, first or that I would have listened to on repeat like yeah. quite a bit. And then it's more recently 
I've started listening to a lot of kind of uh, Kundun, Akhenaten, um, and yeah, yeah, we, we can like, talk about some of them, I guess, uh, later on. But. Um, all right then, so just a bit of introduction for listeners. Um, normally at this point in the podcast, we jump over what Scorsese's done since last we talked about him, but it really hasn't been that much. We He did Casino last time. He then recorded a three-hour and 45-minute documentary with the BFI, A Personal Journey Through American Cinema with Martin Scorsese, uh, which is probably the best YouTube film video ever constructed. Uh, it is available on the BFI player as well for your convenience or for your listening pleasure. If it is convenient. <laughs> <laughs> to have three hours and three quarters to listen to Martin Scorsese talk about films. And then he did Condon, uh, which was seen at the time by some critics, in particular, say, Matthew Sweet of The Independent, as a radical departure from the films that he had been making up until that point. And by other critics like Roger Ebert, seen as part of what we talked about, that milieu of kind of his spiritual films. But Jay, what about yourself? Do you remember the first time you saw Kundun? Because we talked to think you're now in line with Scorsese. You talked about going to a midnight screening of Casino, for example. Yes. You are a Scorsese fan. When Kundun came out, was it something that you went to see in a cinema? And was it something you were excited about? And to answer your first question, I can't remember if I saw it at the cinema. And my thinking is, I don't think I did. And I could not tell you as to why. But I think I saw it about a year or two later at home. Um, and I, like, I'm not sure how much of a release it got here. I can't recall. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that. A... It certainly wasn't uh, massive um, as a film. Like It kind of disappeared fairly quickly from what I recall. Um, so I definitely, I, I likely watched it at home then about a year or two later. And I really, really liked it. And I haven't seen it since until this very day. Um, because, and I think, Darren, you've uh, ref- you've kind of talked about this a, a bit online as well, about the kind of, I'll get to it later, I'm sure, about the accessibility or otherwise of it. Yes. Um, and that's, I, that's an interesting thing in itself, uh, the history of it in that regard. Um, so I would I would have come to it a little, late, little later than when it came out, but only about a year or two later, I think. Okay, so you still would have seen it before bringing out the dead, for example. Yeah, I, I would have seen it around that time. Um, I, I like, I think, I think I've seen it before. Whatever the next film was, bringing out the dead next after that. Yeah, I, that was his next big yeah, theatrical I, film. I, I think he probably did some, seen some it before that. I would reckon, yeah. but I mean, you know, okay. twenty something years ago, man. <laughs> it's all rather hazy. <laughs> yeah, it is, um, yeah, you did mention it there actually, and and like we'll probably get into it more in the spoilers. We'll probably go into a bit more depth on the other side of that discussion. But it is worth mentioning, like, we, we joke that myself and Andrew are breaking lockdown and quarantine. We're not actually breaking it. We are being, you know, we're not breaking the law. We're just being slightly irresponsible. But the reason for that is because Kundan is not easily available. It is the only major Martin Scorsese film that is not readily available on a streaming service, whether in the United Kingdom, the United States, or Ireland. Um, so it is not accessible. In order to watch it, you had I had to track down a Blu-ray copy of it, an actual piece of physical media containing it so that we could watch it and discuss it. What's notable about that Blu-ray that we watched is that despite the fact that this was a movie produced by Touchstone Pictures, a subsidiary of Walt Disney Company, one of the largest multimedia companies on the face of the earth, the Blu-ray was not produced by them. It was contracted out to uh, Kino uh, Larber. Oh, God. Um, so which once special... removed. <laughs> yeah, very, very much. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it's, it's very much a kind of a specialist publisher mm-hmm. and very much existing yeah. separate from the company itself. For sure. And it's it's fortuitous that we are talking about this now. Again, not to date the podcast, but as we are recording this, this Friday, Disney will be releasing Mulan on streaming. Yeah. As we release this episode live in our stream, there's a very good chance that Disney will be lining up at the theatrical release of Mulan in China 
And that is exactly the reason why this movie is so hard to find. Yeah. In that it was produced by Disney. Disney gave Scorsese a $28 million budget to make it. Why? Scorsese was... <laughs> <laughs> like, I was never going to make money. What were you thinking? Well, let's, I suspect they, they wanted Oscars. And to be fair, it did get some lovely Oscar nominations. No, it did, but it was, it, was hardly gonna, it was hardly going to make a fortune in the Chinese market, though, you know? <laughs> oh, oh, no. Oh, this, is, this is where it gets particular. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let, let's talk very briefly about this, because this is fascinating. So Disney announced that they're making this. Scorsese collaborates with a bunch of uh, Tibetan ex-nationals, part of the diaspora. Yeah. In fact, he actually consults with the Dalai Lama himself in terms of making this movie. Apparently, Scorsese met the Dalai Lama at lunch with Harrison Ford and his wife, uh, Melinda Matheson, uh, who wrote the screenplay for this. She also wrote the screenplay for E.T. as well. Uh, you can also imagine, by the way, there was some debate about which Scorsese movie to show the Dalai Lama uh, in terms of this man wants to make your life story. Please say Apparently, it's taxi yeah. Apparently they settled on The Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah, um, um, although apparently Scorsese recalls about five years later, uh, or five, sorry, about a decade later, he was at a function involving a senior Tibetan monk. And afterwards, the Tibetan monk walked up to Scorsese and wanted to thank him for the service he had done for Tibet in making the movie. And he also said, I saw your other movie, New York Gangs. It was a very violent film. But that is your nature. And then walked off. And Scorsese was like, eh, I'll, I'll take it. That's not bad. Um, but yes, no, not at all. And I mean, like, let's be fair. Kundan has its share of celebrity fans, including Christopher Montesanti yes. as well from The Sopranos. <laughs> Bloody, I liked it. Um, <laughs> Kundan, I liked it. Yeah, but uh, yes. So basically, Disney agreed to make it. China almost immediately signaled that they were not particularly interested in, in Disney doing that. It's worth noting in this context that Kundan exists in a swath of 90s Buddhism in Hollywood. In particular, like a fixation uh, on New Age. Seven years in Tibet. That's it, exactly. It, 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 not even just um, an obsession with Tibet and Buddhism. In, in movies, but in culture yeah. in, in, in general. Like, like you have, you had um, 1997. Um, oh, this is like our... our <laughs> Our summer of ninety eight again. Summer of ninety nine, yeah. Summer of ninety nine. By the way, we yeah. still have to do two episodes of that. <laughs> Where um um it was a, it was at this time that Guns N' Roses started making Chinese democracy. And apparently the title was was inspired by by Kundu. watching Kundu. Yeah. Um, there was also Andrew hold on let me get the 1999 machine out here so what you need to do now it's, it's programmed for your voice what you need to do is just say it's December 1997 WWE star Steve Austin <laughs> was king of the ring yeah yeah um, no um, but yeah you, you had wheeling beast, away the 99 machine Beastie Boys um, uh, were 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 kind of campaigning um, on it. This was this this is during like like politically it was a time between kind of like the um, the, the Berlin war, Wall the coming. Yeah, yeah, between be- between the Cold War and um, and nine eleven, where there was all of the um, all these um, countries gaining um, independence and yeah. separation from the Soviet Union. And the thought was that it was just kind of a matter of time. Before Tibet would kind of exactly, cede from China yeah, and yeah. embrace globalization. It's, yeah, yeah. It felt like the the, um, the 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 kind of time for it. Yeah. 
And I mean, even outside of, of film and television, even outside of Tibet itself, you could argue it was part of a larger context of the embrace of, say, the New Age movement in Hollywood as well. Shows like The X-Files, I know that you're a big fan of, say, Star Trek. Think of the character of Chakotay in Star Trek Voyager as well. That's sort of vague Eastern kind of, even though he's Native American, but that's sort of like New age philosophy that was kind of woven into the character by these Hollywood types that are very obsessed with it. You mentioned, for example, uh, Seven Years in Tibet. Yeah. Seven Years in Tibet was released the same year as Kundan somewhat undermined by the revelation between the closing of production and the release of the film itself that the Austrian mountain climber on whose story it was based was actually secretly a former SS officer. Oh yeah, he was a Nazi. Yeah, hate to yeah. see it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, even, the best part of that was that I think it was George Arnaud, the director, said that no, there will be no need to make any changes in post no, no, based no, on this new information. Do they not... Is that not, is that not a point in the movie? No, no, <laughs> no you don't mention it. Never comes up. It's um, not a flashback yeah, <laughs> that puts it in context. Uh, but Condon is particularly interesting because Scorsese didn't do what movies like, say, Red Square starring Richard Gere or Seven Years in Tibet starring Brad Pitt did, which was to basically take a bunch of famous white actors and shoehorn them into the movie. Yeah. He actually worked with a bunch of Tibetan diaspora, people who had actually been exiled from Tibet uh, and had been working together and kind of made this movie with them. When China found out about it, they said that this was an insult. It would not stand. Disney initially kicked their foot in the dirt and said, this is a free speech issue. We are not going to cave to China on this. China said, fine. If that's the case, then Mulan isn't going to release here. Disney said, whoa, okay, let's not get out of hand. Leading to a situation. And McDonald's spoke to, <laughs> to the Chinese uh, government. To on their- Disney and they said, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it is worth noting. We uh, have it, this whole sauce plan. <laughs> yeah, for, for this tie-in. It's going to be Rouge, big in 2018. Called, uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it is worth noting that like Disney hired, and Jay, you'll love this. What? Disney hired Henry Kissinger Stop. to resolve this diplomatic snafu. No, no I'm, not, I'm not actually kidding. Like We'll have this in the show notes. He actually Aaron, went on like... To me? Why would you put uh, no, this on me? <laughs> I'm out of here. I told you that you'd love it. Like Disney hired hired Kissinger and had him do the late night talk show circuit, Stop. had him visit Beijing, had him explain that nobody was going to remember this movie four weeks after it was released. Meanwhile, they completely cut any advertising and publicity budget for the film. They scheduled its release date opposite James Cameron's Titanic. It took less than $1.5 million at the at the American box yeah, office. It isn't a surprise that we haven't seen it in the cinema because like when 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 Titanic came out, our our cinema in Sligo was closed and the closest one was in Balana. So people were going like an hour and a half to Balana, but not to watch Kunda. No. Um, I might point out actually, actually yeah, to, it's to worth watch pointing Titanic. out just in the context of uh, Darren asked me about um, Kundan and when I saw it I do, did actually see Titanic in the cinema so make up that one <laughs> <Yeah. you will. laughs> just have this image of Jay walking past the one screen showing Kundan I'll assu- catch it later I can assure you Kundan was not shown in the UCI Kulak uh, at the time yeah, I can it, guarantee you that it'll be playing in a couple of weeks I'll catch it when the crowds Probably die screen down one, um, in, uh, yeah. in screen there one in screen one there weren't so many Omniplexes back then there weren't there was only a handful <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Well, it was around the time that kind of that transition was coming in. 
And it's worth. That's worth, why. That's why the the, the cinema in Sligo was closed down. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it was being multiplexed. Um, it was, it was quite multiplexed. literally being turned into a multiplex. Um, in kid, kid in five minutes, this place is becoming a Starbucks. Uh, also, Scorsese himself has noted that Disney and Touchstone did absolutely no publicity internationally. He was interviewed by Barry Norman, and Norman was asking him, "Why haven't I gotten any press for this? Why hasn't any PR person reached out to me?" And Scorsese basically said. Because I am the PR campaign for this movie. Like, that's literally all there is. There's nothing else to it. I suspect you're entirely right. It probably didn't screen in any local cinema. I, I suspect you would have had to go I, to an art house. Or I imagine it was in the IFI or um, the screen cinema, maybe, might have had it in town. Uh, the beloved screen cinema yeah, on Clear Street. Um, screen was of those so good. It. it was. Yes, it was. Um, Great and it is, it, it is worth noting in that context that my... Michael Eisner, who had begun this story as the triumphant hero, championing free speech, insisting on artistic integrity, would later tell the premiere of China only one year after it was released, well, the bad news is the film got made. The good news is nobody went to see it. Which is, you know, maybe not the best publicity campaign for your God own. God bless movie. Michael Eisner, eh? There's a reason why they called the uh, Disney wh- Moshewitz for a long time. Like. <laughs> Whatever happened to him? <laughs> <laughs> um, whatever happens to uh, Henry Kissinger he's still alive we might point out <laughs> somehow inexplicably oh, he's doing, oh my goodness he's doing the press tour for the current Mulan movie yeah um, stop who no, was no he's not that was, that, that was a joke that was a joke Kissinger um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the, idea, the idea was we need somebody we need somebody the, who actually has like reach in the Chinese government like, who can we get the, <laughs> the indignity that the former signatory of the Paris Mr. Ambassador <laughs> would be promoting Mulan. We will not but yes, this um, it is for- crazy. Right, sorry, go on. And I, and I say that it's it's a fortuitous that we're discussing the context of Mulan's premium video on yes, re- demand release. I can't wait to shell out my 30 quid on Friday. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, I know. I am um, not well, a hey, cent. But go on. Sorry. <laughs> The reason, the reason I suspect being honest, the reason why it's releasing a video on demand is because Disney don't really care about the American box office. They want the Chinese box office. This, this, this sucks. By the way, I, I, I got Disney Plus so that <laughs> I could Hamilton. see Hamilton. It was such an easy process. Like, yeah, it is. It, you don't have to fill out any forms or anything. It's just like, uh, <laughs> what's your, your email address and give me your money? Yeah, it was brilliant. Like it should all be like that. Yes, but all it, media should be accessible. That accessible. Like you yeah, shouldn't have yeah. to come over to my house uh, yeah. to watch Kundan. As exactly. much as I enjoy I having know, you, are you here. suggesting but, Kundan is not on the Disney streaming service? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Disney Plus, I right next to Mulan. I don't think like Mulan. Go, you might like. It. <laughs> I don't think Mulan is either, though. The animated one is yes. The animated one will will be yes, the, but the live the, action one. The you're going to have to pay you're going to have to pay thirty quid. Right? Yeah, you're going to have to pay twenty one ninety nine in in the Republic. Oh, on top of, on top of the subscription actually. to Disney Plus. Uh, I, I don't know because it's thirty dollars. Yeah, but, you know, yeah, it's thirty dollars in the states. I don't know how they calculate. It's thirty quid. In I the do UK, know which is thirty eight dollars in the states. Yeah, I do know. I do know though because we're past the embargo now. I can tell you that. Possibly the strongest worded embargo email I have ever received was for Mulan. Oh, really? Darren, under no circumstances are you to talk about Mulan before the embargo lifts. Under no circumstances. We will have you killed if by you Henry are on Kissinger. The radio. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quite literally. Like the, the email was like, you can mention that it's on PVOD. You can mention that you can pay twenty one ninety nine for it. But if you so much as mention that you have seen it, the mouse is coming for you, which is rather kind of ominous. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Classic Disney. Yeah. 
I don't. I don't think we can prove that they would kill you. <laughs> well, you can no, no. Let, let, let's, yeah, let's, 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 let's be very careful. Let's not here. roll not that insinuating dice. That. Yeah, we are not insinuating that whatsoever. Um, but yes, yes. But the interesting thing is that, like, apparently China were so pissed. But Darren, by th- you told me privately that- <laughs> off the air um, that if if I were to disappear, that the first person I should contact is uh, Mr. They had a, they w. Had a, w. Disney. You had a mouse shaped gun pointing at your head. <laughs> yeah. um, le- left a cryptic message. It sounded vaguely like a giggle. Um, but yes, Sorry. What, I, what I would say though about the Milan thing is apparently China. China apparently saw this as a way of crushing the Western um, possible outrage over Tibet or trying to silence American protests about their treatment of Tibet. They actually, there's a name for this in the Chinese Communist Party. It's called Killing the Chicken to Silence the Monkey. Uh, and apparently it was chosen that Disney was going to be their chicken um, for this scenario. In fairness, though, but I apparently mean, they likely was... it'll, uh, it'll flame out like every other Hollywood uh, invoke kind of uh, save the orangutan kind of stuff that happens every few years, you know. It kind of did. Like, I mean, to be fair, yeah. when was the last time you saw a movie about Tibet? You're, and particularly with the dependency that you have yeah, in the yeah, current climate sure. on the Chinese box office, when are you next going to see a movie about Tibet? Well, it won't be made by Disney anyway. There's, well, there's documentaries all the time. Yeah. 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 There, 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 was, there was a 2018 uh, movie called The, the, the Last Dalai Lama? Question mark. So, the, like, the movies are less kind of hopeful... And drawing people's <laughs> attention to the place. I will say, and no. more just resigned. I'm very yeah. much looking forward to the last Dalai Lama too. Dalai Lama harder. That's going to be. It's going to be great. I'm all over that. Uh, but apparently, to teach Disney a lesson, and I kind of love this, is that like Disney's Mulan, which was designed the animated Mulan, which was designed as like their gateway into the Chinese market in the late '90s. In a fit of peak, China delayed its release by a year allowing pirated copies of the VHS to circulate, killing demand for the animated version and releasing it outside of the school holiday season so that even the kids who wanted to go see it couldn't actually go see it, which I kind of you like, which had the effect. Like. Yeah, no, no, they, they sent a very clear message to Disney about what happens if you make a movie about the Dalai Lama. And it's worth noting that Disney's apparently spent the ensuing 20 years trying to make it up to them. They had been planning a Euro Disney-esque theme park in the late 90s. I remember that. Shanghai Disneyland. Yeah, they, they were. It was going to be the, the Disneyland of the East. Shanghai Disneyland only opened in 2016, um, which basically completed that vision of, of that journey. So yeah, so that is, I suspect, a large part of why Kunden is not available readily. I suspect why you won't see it on Disney Plus anytime soon, even among your recommended. So you like I, I did watch it on YouTube and it's there in its entirety. So if anybody does want to watch it, <laughs> It's there. Go, I mean, the, people almost might as well now. Yeah, they, they might, <laughs> it's it's like, there. Like, so go have at it. Like, it's not a shower. I love how resigned rank. Andrew is to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, like they, uh, um, we, yeah. Well, Darren went to the trouble of, 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 of buying this and we've already been blacklisted. <laughs> um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yes, we were already on both Disney's and China's blacklist. I actually, I do I want, the, I do want a copy of Blu-ray Day. actually as well, because it's, it's, it's a beautiful film to look at. And I wouldn't, the YouTube version is fine and watchable, but it's not nearly as sharp as it should be, obviously. But uh, yeah. yeah. And this is probably a nice segue then into the three questions before we jump into the spoiler zone. So Jay, to start us off, do you think that Kundun belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? No, uh, it doesn't. It's. 
it's a one. It's a funny one. It's it's a kind of mid mid kind of Scorsese film in a lot of ways. I, I like. I really like it, and it's not to suggest I don't. But it it's 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 it's. And I don't want to get into it too much until we get into it properly. If you know what I mean. Um, but it's it's one of those films that I greatly admire, and I think it's technically as good as Scorsese has done in a lot of ways. But as a film in and of itself. It's a strange beast and how it's structured, how it's put together, what it's about, how it, how it tells the story it's telling. And as I said, we get into it in a bit more detail, but as a film, I greatly admire it and I love watching it, but I'm not sure it's a great film. Uh, so in that and so in that regard, I'd say no, it probably doesn't. And Andrew, what about yourself? I, I, I'd agree with Jay. I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have it. I mean, it's not. Yeah, yeah. So did nobody? <laughs> Therefore, the argument is proven. Yeah, yeah. but but um, but like whether it should be or not. No, yeah. um, I think it is magnificent, kind of um, audio visually. Yes, yes. Um, an uh, an an incredible piece of cinema. Um, but yeah, as as a movie, no, I I I don't think. I don't think it's 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 in the kind of greatest. It's unusual in some ways because some of the problems with the movies aren't really problems that um that Scorsese generally suffers from. Like the the this the this <laughs> There's no there's not to spoil um the Kundan, but there is no five minute sequence of the Dalai Lama asking did you my wife? <laughs> no, that what what I mean more is 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 that there there's very little subtlety in the characterizations here of heroes and villains, which you did like obviously the kind of characterization that Scorsese ordinarily uses in his movies with very complicated um, uh, heroes and villains and villains that you feel sorry for and he- heroes who are terrible. Um, would wouldn't be appropriate here, but I I don't I I think it kind of it it possibly takes away from it its power the yeah. sen- the sense in which um uh, right and wrong um although although that is to an extent uh, part of the point of this movie oh, but it is. but the it's it's it just feels a bit kind of um. Uh, too reverential, I guess. That's what, that was what yeah. I was actually about to ask there, because one of the observations that's been made about it, particularly in the context of that trilogy that Andrew mentioned, that loose trio of films, specifically about religion and specifically about spirituality and faith, The Last Temptation of Christ, This and Silence, is that obviously The Last Temptation of Christ and Silence are movies about Catholicism. Now, Silence is obviously about Catholicism in the East, but they're about... Scorsese's religion. They're about the religion that he's lived with, he's grown up with. Mm. He went to seminary, so he knows it inside out, and so he feels comfortable with it. And it kind of picks at it as well. Like, I mean, you know, The Last Temptation of Christ was controversial because it dared to suggest that Christ was a human being with human desires, human longings, human wants. And therefore, like, kind of, in a certain extent, kind of picked at and explored and kind of, like, got under the skin of Jesus Christ, the saviour of Christianity. With this movie... Scorsese is dealing with a faith that is removed from his own. And this is perhaps where it gets tricky because there's a sense in which, and again, maybe this is something best saved for the spoiler zone, but 
there's a sense in which Scorsese is perhaps understandably reluctant to get under the skin of this, uh, perhaps, where he treats it with a great deal of reverence and respect and dignity. And I would argue more dignity than something like Seven Years in Tibet does, you know, in that, like, he doesn't feel the need to intrude a white guy in to explain what's going on. He lets the the Tibetans tell their own story. Oh, it's very respectful. Yeah, absolutely. But is it? Does that make it stayed? Does that prevent it? Does it hold it back from kind of you know? I, I don't wouldn't call it stayed, or... but I but I, I do take the point. Okay, sorry, I yeah. think it's. I agree. I think to some degree, there's not a huge amount you can kind of kick the kind of Buddhism for in general terms. <laughs> um, I think it, as, as, as decency goes in the world, it's probably not the like you know it's probably up there in the top three. Um, and, yeah. And China, and as it's proven over the years, is not exactly is it. Like it's pantomime villainy, like unfortunately is true, even if it's pantomime villainy in a film. It should have been Alan Rickman. <laughs> yeah, playing Mao Zedong. <laughs> he would have been great oh, as man. like Could the camp imagine? villain. <laughs> but I, 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 but I, I think that does make poison. it interesting. And I, in the sense that it, I think whilst it's accurate to do what he did in a lot of ways, it does rob it of a little bit of energy and a little bit of conflict and a little bit of kind of, yeah, just momentum, I guess. Oomph. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I suppose the balance to that is the sense very much in which, um, in which um, he, its subject is a real person and has the kind of, you know, weaknesses of yeah. a real person and it's and that that it's difficult and that and that every that all has been kind of uh thrust upon yeah him which 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 like, does which which does which does humanize but it, it, like it it at the same time it's very much kind of hagiography yeah which is which is perhaps appropriate yeah I mean, again, like, while it's it's probably fair to, as Jay said, kick the out of Henry Hill as a human being, if Jesus Christ were alive and consulting on this movie, one imagines The Last Temptation of Christ would probably also be a bit more delicate and reverential, um, one suspects. Right. But yeah. uh, for, my own, for my own take and my own opinion, again, I probably don't feel too strongly about it. I think Andrew's right, though, in that, like, this is a different sort of Scorsese movie we're talking about. You know, as somebody who runs a podcast about the 250, do I want it to be on the 250 to justify having talked about it? Yes, I guess. There are enough <laughs> Scorsese movies on there that you could probably kick one of them off. One of which I suspect we'll be talking about in the coming weeks that many of us would probably be quite happy to swap this one for. But I, I do I do think that there's an argument for it in that sense. Yeah. In a general sense, in terms of being one of the great 250 movies ever, I agree with both of you, no. And Jay, follow-up question, your own personal 250. I think that it kind of goes to that. I, I, I do like that it exists, and it's something I see myself coming back to every so often. It's a, it's a very different vibe to watching it than watching a lot of Scorsese films. And Andrew alluded to it earlier about the kind of having something on in a conversation like this to balance out a certain kind of films. Yeah. That on, and I think when you're watching it, it fulfills that brief really well. Um, and, and the glass score helps, the cinematography helps, the editing helps. It's like it's really lush and beautiful and interesting and yeah, and all the things that a good film and it's a kind of classical film in lots of ways. Um you know they, Oh they, yeah, it's a kind of biopic they don't yeah, make anymore. Yeah. 
now uh, everybody would be focused on like a meeting, but the meeting between Mao Zedong and yeah, as the, the, the great third act twist or whatever. Or, yeah, yeah. But or, like yeah. his his guitarist handing him some drugs. Yeah, him <laughs> walking in is like you don't want this. Shit. You don't want part don't of this, Dali. <laughs> How did the biography ever come back from that? How did it ever come back from that? I'll never understand it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what's Kind of vaguely interesting there, and I suppose actually probably again save it for the spoiler zone. I do think that there's something interesting in the relationship between this and Casino, but we'll probably come back to that. Oh, wow. In that I think that Jay's right that this is a clear departure for Scorsese. Yeah, I mean, in a number yeah. of levels, in that like obviously Deacons is doing cinematography, Glass's score is radically different. I think from most of uh, Deacons, sorry, from most of Scorsese's other kind of scores, Robbie Robertson, yeah. for example. Yeah. Well, like, Burm, yeah, like just his, his um, not not kind of. Like pe- pe- people have uh, celebrated kind of Scorsese's use of pop music, yeah. Um, but it 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 can it can often it can sometimes feel like something that's that's just very kind of easy to sort of um, uh, uh, fall back into, like like where it, if you if if. If if you draw a kind of a distinction between Scorsese and say Tarantino, Tar- Tarantino is sometimes using songs that people aren't familiar with. like terribly familiar with, which are great songs yeah. but aren't obvious. Whereas kind of with the Scorsese ones, I suppose. Because- well, I was going to say counterpoint to that is that like you know Scorsese uses "Take Shelter" in every one of his movies, but would "Take right. Shelter" be as famous if Scorsese didn't use it in every one of his movies? Possibly not. No. Having said that, um, I would have liked the uh, Rolling Stone cut in the middle of a uh, cunt. That would have been really fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think we talked about this when we talked about Goodfellas a couple of weeks ago, but Thelma Schumacher's talked about how when they were doing Cundon, the studio was asking if she could cut the final sequence of the movie, like Henry Hill fleeing from the helicopter at the climax of Goodfellas. And she was like, no, this is a very different movie. And the executives were apparently like, can you just try it? Can we just see what it would be like? I wouldn't mind though. There's there's cuts and whip pans with the camera throughout. Like it's it's oh, it's are. not stayed. Like it, in that sense, it's not reverential in that way. Like there's technique. It's recognised the Scorsese. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It absolutely is. So I mean, Jesus, is, that's as much as you is. could really expect. <laughs> yeah. There is some cocaine in the movie, right? Or, or is that snuff? <laughs> <laughs> that's a very <laughs> fair that's point. It is um, true. That's where Gimme Shelter should have um, dropped. Like yeah. <laughs> the opium, the opium <laughs> sequence. Yeah. Um, all right, then, Andrew, about yourself. This, it, was this it, the first time you watched it, actually? It actually was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is like me suggesting that we cover it. It's it, You're not the only guest who's done that. We've had no, several guests who are like, I wanted to watch a movie, and you guys will make me watch a movie. Plus, yeah, I I uh, suggested kind of... Um, it's happened a few times where when we're recording, you'd be like, so, Andrew... Um, uh, why did you decide on Wild Strawberries and when was the first time you saw it? Um, and and it had been the first time. But this movie actually stands a, 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 a closer chance of being in my own 250. I really like movies like this. Um, and like I, 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 I need to watch it again. But... Um, but a movie that I really enjoyed at the time was The Mission. Um, and I really like these kind of um, spiritual, kind of personal and historical 
um, uh, films. Obviously, um, uh, quite like Gandhi. Uh, um, and I, I was going to say, this reminded lot, me yeah. a lot of Gandhi and that, that sort of classical biopic kind of sweep. Yeah, but it, it's it, it's kind of... Um, it's very it's very slow though and meditative. Yeah. Um like the 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 San Mandala um is kind of like a a, a repeated um motif. Motif, yeah, here. And there's there's the there's the glass um song um that accompanies it also called San Mandala. Um so it's it it it's kind of it is it is it is taking its time, I suppose, and it it's not it's not so concerned with the kind of um uh politics to the exclusion of the very kind of personal and spiritual sort of um journey at the core of it. And slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, it 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 might it might be on my top two fifty. I was gonna ask my my personal <clears throat> Having literally just watched this, Andrew, and I know that I think Goodfellas was your favorite Scorsese film that we've covered so far, and maybe that we've seen. But does this have a good chance of displacing Goodfellas as your favorite Scorsese? Oh, like no, I don't. Okay. Well, sorry. <laughs> Let's I, be I mean, reasonable I mean, here. Um, it it would it would be very strange, you know, <laughs> because of how good um, Goodfellas yeah. is. But you this know, is it, probably but, comfortably in your but, top five, but, say, or your top. Yeah, but th- this feels more mine. Yeah, I guess you know. <laughs> this is you're talking about Marty giving half of his babies away, and you're yeah, like, "I'll just yeah, take yeah. Cundin, please." Exactly. Um, that's that's fair, and I I like this movie a lot. Actually, I really really like it. I'm not sure it being my own personal 250, but I am. Um, I watched it for the first time at the weekend as research for this, and I watched it the second time tonight. And watching it the second time tonight with Andrew, it is almost like meditative. Yeah. Um, the way that it's structured, the way that it's edited, the way that it comes together. It's a movie you can lose yourself in, uh, which, again, is something that I think is an interesting counterpoint to, say, Goodfellas and Casino, and arguably an Age of Innocence, where you have the same ambience but a higher energy. This is more like that, but played as a trance song, as it were. It kind of, it soaks you in, it moves a little slower. You've got all the same techniques, you've got a lot of montages, a lot of fades, yeah. the huge passage of time happening, but it's not as strong, it's not as firm, it's not as aggressive. This isn't cocaine, this is opium, you know, was it Spike Lee saying, I haven't taken cocaine, but I've watched Goodfellas. <laughs> I haven't taken opium, but I've watched Gundam. And I imagine it might be vaguely similar. But it has that kind of like play sense of a, a film in which you can lose yourself. Which you can watch multiple times and probably get different things out of. Picking yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Going through. I agree with that, I'd say. Yeah. So it, it's not on my 250. Uh, I don't know if it ever will be, but it's, it's a movie that I, having literally only watched a couple of times, really, really liked. And then finally, before we jump into the spoiler zone, Jay, if listeners can find themselves a copy of Kundan, and that's a big Good if, luck. apparently, would, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and watch it on whatever device they can find it? Uh, I think so. I, I I don't think it's just for Scorsese completists. I think there's anybody that's been conditioned towards biopics and the rest of it over the last 30 or 40 years in Hollywood terms will find plenty to enjoy here. Um, Even just like from a technique technical point of view and there's a sweep and there's there like there's a story here regardless of how much Scorsese cares in some ways about certain kind of yeah. pacing in, within that um it's more of a mood piece in a lot of ways but i think people would get plenty out of it i think it is classical filmmaking for a reason i think Scorsese is old enough to know how filmmakers did it 
even well beyond yeah. before he was there if they hung around Michael Powell and Atelma would have been married to Michael Powell kind of shoemaker so he would have known kind of those kind of techniques to yeah and I think you're right to allude to the age of innocence Darren I think a lot of the techniques are on show from that or in here with the montage editing particularly um and that kind of sweep to it and that kind of it doesn't quite hit those levels but that's you know they're pretty high levels yeah um, very few movies at yeah, all hit that exactly level, yeah. um so yeah i think there's a lot a huge amount to recommend in it i i i would say go for it i think there's i think people would be surprised how much they enjoy it uh because i think it's a better film than people think it is because a lot of people haven't seen it and they just think it's probably one of those films about somewhere out there you know that kind of classic. message movie yeah exactly yeah. yeah an important movie about an important issue exactly. that's and I, I mean, the, there is that too but i mean i think it's there's more than that to it yeah yeah you mentioned uh michael powell there as well it's, it's amazing how scorsese even when he's making a movie set in tibet although filmed in morocco which looks absolutely gorgeous oh, yeah. deacon cinematography i think there's bits in idaho and british columbia as well yeah and and some of the monasteries are actually shot in new york as well incredible. which is really incredible. Incredible. Oh, wow. yeah yeah which it, it, it's stunning how he actually managed to do it but like even filming this very eastern movie you can still see all of scorsese's familiar tropes and play all his references like there are points Rats. where it looks like a john ford ref or a yeah, western yeah, for sure where you have like people on horseback with with hats riding off against this kind of like mountainous backdrop yep. and there's like repeated references to citizen kane like i think you know not to spoil it but like mao zedong's introduction is like quite literally a lift from citizen kane which is amazing in the context of a movie that you expect is going to be or at least i expect it was going to be something very different and also in the earlier parts has the kane from citizen kane <laughs> <laughs> in a way yes it does i want to talk about that sequence but we'll do that in the other yeah, side yeah. The zone. and andrew what about yourself uh do you think that it belongs on uh, what sorry would you recommend that listeners watch it i would i would i think it's an important movie to watch in the um in the kind of current um contact context and just generally speaking like it is it is an issue that we've um uh, forgotten about specifically with relation to um, Tibet, yeah. Um, but the the kind of ethnic um, dominion and kind of socio religious um, engineering in in China is is no less relevant today. Um, yeah. than 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 uh, than was when this movie was made, um, and it's a good movie. Yeah, yeah that, that as well. <laughs> yeah. Hurt. So that yeah, so that it, it, it's 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 good because it 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 does uh, get you thinking, and, and 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 not just about these sorts of things. It's very um, kind of philosophical, and yeah. as they say, uh, very sort of personal. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, um, that's um, that's why I'd recommend it. Absolutely. I would second pretty much everything that both of you said there. It is a beautiful film. It's an accessible film. And I think particularly in the context of like this season of Scorsese or Summer of Scorsese that we're doing in what is now October, but we are, we are doing a Summer of Scorsese, the films that we're covering, you know, again, I think they're great films, but there are a lot of like, you know, they're quite monotonous in a certain extent. They're, you know, largely urban, largely hyper-masculine, very American. I think that if you've been watching along with us as we've been doing the Summer of Scorsese, this might be a nice breather. Yeah, I um, agree. This might offer a nice change of pace, a nice showcase of 
what Marty does outside of the movies that make this like this. So I would wholeheartedly recommend it for that purpose. With that in mind, then, we hope you'll join us on the other side of the Spoiler Zone. Spoiler Zone. So, Andrew, what is Kundun about for you? Um, for me, Kundun is about how we all, as human beings, have these great, important lives uh, to live, and uh, and and about the huge responsibility. That we've been given as 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 living people to have kind of um, to be courageous or to be cautious. The the idea that we don't we 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 don't sometimes know what we ought to do, um, but that but that everything depends on us um, doing it. On us doing it exactly, um, and and. And it's a very it's a very powerful way of kind of getting that message across because it's not um, in spite of what we say about the kind of the reverential way that the movie looks um, at the 14th Dalai Lama. It also does explore kind of familiar weakness in terms of in terms of not quite um maybe knowing what to do. There's a lot of kind of consulting um, happens in this movie. And then there's a lot of kind of um, um, things not quite going um, the way um, the way he wants them to go and having very difficult decisions to make, but decisions that must be made. Um, because as I say, we have these lives to live. And these obligations to me yeah. in this world that we're in and the flow of history around us. And exactly. Us and and it's, so, it's so important. Our, one, one's life and one's kind of um, impact is, 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 is the most important kind of um, gift we have. And just wonder that would be a waste. Yeah. 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 With it, it, and and it, it, that's not, that's not just a, a, um, uh, that's not a that's not simply a liberating idea. It's also kind of a terrifying one because yeah. it creates an expect not an expectation but an obligation. Exactly, and 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 that it's one's responsibility to um, to, to to be use, the best you can be. Uh, to, yeah, not, without yeah. Getting, using, you know, going well, into cliche. Without, yeah, yeah, because it, as as he says himself, it's kind of that. that He's speaking to the Chinese and he says that you cannot liberate me, that only only I can liberate myself. Yeah. And that that's that's what what every uh, person is kind of responsible for doing. Yeah. Uh, what I think is, is kind of interesting, and again, we, we mentioned in terms of the reverentialness and perhaps we're a bit harsh on it, if only because we're talking in comparison to Scorsese's other movies. But I did find what was interesting rewatching it is that Scorsese doesn't hammer the theme, and it's certainly not there as strongly as it is in, say, The Last Temptation of Christ. But there is a recurring motif of this idea 
that the 14th Dalai Lama was robbed of a childhood uh, by virtue of what was thrust upon him. Which again is very similar to, again, Christ's arc in The Last Temptation of Christ, where he's, you know, the idea, the obligation or the role saving humanity comes at the cost of arguably his own humanity or his own opportunity to have a normal life. There's a point where at one point that, you know, the like Dalai Michael Lama... Jackson. Sorry? No, sorry. <laughs> uh, but there is, is a moment where like the Dalai Lama, you know, repeatedly kind of has to insist on being brought into conversations, being told that he's not invited in yet, but still having to make these decisions based on them and having to act like an adult in situations where he is plainly a child. Quite literally at the point where he's, you know, it's his enthronement, I think is what they call it, when he's actually appointed as the Dalai Lama, where he's actually fixing a clock as if to underscore this theme of the passage of time and how important time is and how important it is for him to literally have time to himself. And he says, I would like the Christopher Nolan movie. I know. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's all about time. But he talks about how he, you know, he would like to wait until he's 18 to be made the Dalai Lama. Yeah. He would like all other Dalai Lamas had the first 18 years of their lives. In fact, later on, when he's dreaming about all the people that he's lost, all the people who died, one of his former teachers says, I hope that you will forgive us for the fact that you never all the things you didn't have in your childhood. Yeah. Including your childhood, basically. And I think that kind of plays into what you're suggesting there, the kind of tragedy of, uh, you know, sadness of having to do that, having to be that, having to kind of step into that. Because I think one of the interesting things about it is Scorsese's craft, where he repeatedly uses yeah. point of B shots, perspective shots and low angle shots. This kind of like, and again, lots of these tracking shots, but from very low perspectives, like a child, very much the movie is often seen through the eyes of a child, like particularly the early scenes, the early politics scenes are often seen peering through doorways or whispered snippets of conversation overheard by a child in a corridor without context. The sense of, like, being a child in this world... The beginning world, of the movie is meant to be watched on a phone. Clear, yeah, clearly meant to be watched on a phone. I think Scorsese would very much champion that idea. Yeah. You should also watch it in, like, three parts as a miniseries on Netflix. I think Scorsese would also love that. But I do, I do think that there is something kind of... it's in- on its side. <laughs> But I do think that there is something kind of interesting in that, in that I think that there is... Oh, vertical video is what you're suggesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Scorsese was way ahead of the curve on that front. But I think there is something interesting in that idea that, you know, the Dalai Lama did not get a childhood. Even when the camera puts us in the perspective of a child, we are conscious of the adult worries, fears, anxieties, and obligations outside that. And I think that's that's kind of interesting because you get a sense of wanting that freedom, wanting that childhood. What you pointed out, wanting to escape that obligation or wanting at least no, a reprieve. No, I, not I, a reprieve I, from the, that. that that wasn't that wasn't my point at all. Okay. Uh but 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 that that but that that is um you that is definitely another kind of point made in the movie, yeah. Um like it, the um I suppose it it's not 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 necessarily kind of um wanting out of it. Yeah, um, no, no, to be clear. No, yeah. The, but it's the, it's wanting space from that perhaps is the thing. Like wanting a chance to be a child before you have to become a man, or wanting the freedom to explore yourself before being told what you are, or having to be what you are. Yeah, because there 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 is a kind of a liberation in being a child. Like um in being able to establish um, kind of make-believe scenarios. Like you play shop as a child and then you walk away <coughs> from the shop 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to worry about meeting yeah, your creditors yeah. at the end of the month. Exactly. They, 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 have you looked at these like, reports? Their I, lost leaders aren't selling. Yeah. Did you did you leave the shop unattended? <laughs> um, yeah. So it's... Um, as opposed to running a country. Yeah, he do, he doesn't have that opportunity to kind of um, to 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 play, I suppose. Um, but um, no, yeah, the, the there's a thing as well about um, which is maybe a bit kind of two dimensional is the idea of. Um, that's repeated over and over again of, of kind of right will win um, and wrong will mm-hmm. lose. I, um, Karma. The, and, the belief that in the grand scheme of things it will all balance out. Yeah, and I suppose the one reason maybe why this movie is so kind of, why it suits for this movie to be so slow and meditative is that you don't have a climax of the movie where uh, there is a great triumph. Yeah. Um, he quite literally just escapes with his life. Yeah, 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 and 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 um, and the struggle continues, um, and the struggle is nearly exhausted. Yeah, um, the, like the, they, clo- the closing credits crawl doesn't tell you that it all ended up happily ever after. It tells you that nearly half a century later, it's still exactly the same as it was, pretty much. Well, it, the it, Dalai Lama it, still hopes to go home. Yeah, his um, um, he, the Dalai Lama won't be going home though. That's the thing is 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 that the Dalai Lama is now in his, um, in his eighties. The the, uh, when when, when we talk about China now, we've almost kind of forgotten about the best. So yeah. so successful has that. Um, yeah, colonialism. Yeah, um, and the kind of imperialism that they're in, that in a movie they're trying to save um, Tibet from. Which, which is interesting. Again, this is one of those things where I want to be very careful about how I frame this. This is not China apologia or anything like that. What is interesting about the movie is that it is, is told... that there is a kind of a point to what China is saying. Well, is is that in the context of the the movie, what China was saying at the time was very specifically rooted in the British presence in Tibet, in yeah. that Britain had soldiers and, and armies and bases in Tibet, and that was seen as being a potential threat to China, uh, was their justification for it. And again, obviously, this is not China's you know apologia for China. To be absolutely clear. I am not like in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest saying Nurse Ratchet was right. Not that I said that, but it was implied that I said that. <laughs> but to be absolutely clear, one of the interesting things about um, this is that it is so obviously and heartily, and I would argue, you know, in the grand sense of things, rightly on the side of Tibet, that it does almost completely obscure any wider sense of context or any wider sense of nuance. Right. The one shot, the one acknowledgement you get of Britain's presence in Tibet is a quick reaction shot in the you know, the presentation of the young child, the Dalai Lama, where the only white guy in the movie almost is standing there in the procession wearing an admiral's hat and bowing. And that's just about it. That's the only acknowledgement that you have that there's... I, I would argue, know, some... though, that uh, it, it largely doesn't matter in the context yeah, of... Fair. I think China would have found another pretext regardless yes. of yeah. whether Britain was there or otherwise. And I think Scorsese may 
would maybe seen it from that point because here we are in well 1997 then but 2020 now um and nothing has changed um no and yeah. like britain has long gone from tibet it's not like yeah. they, yeah. they would have found something else and i think and the, the great menace in that regard is china and, it, and it's quite clear that that's what they're aiming for i agree it doesn't scope out in the way the kind of the cultural and historical context around that but i, I suspect that yeah. they don't but really doesn't need, have to they don't really need to in the sense that there'll always be colonialists i mean before china there was somebody else before somebody else there was somebody else it's just the way these things go yeah the the difference is that the the the, the kind of imperialists that are there now aren't going anywhere no they're not yeah. i mean i suppose the um, only the, thing yeah. i say is that there, there will likely be a 15th dalai lama so he would he would expect to be going home at some point and so on and so on. And well, the question of finding the, him as well. Is, I mean, I'm presuming is, that can be done, is, I'm saying. Yeah. Is, is that the, the um, uh, China have already decided that that uh, that they'll be naming their own. Yeah, Basically, there, there, there is like a state um, uh, uh, sponsored um uh, appointment of the yeah, it's a, sponsored it's, by Pepsi. It's like it's like that um that Guns N' Roses album uh, Chinese Chinese Llamas. Um where where they 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 have um abducted a uh, a reincarnated uh llama that was um chosen by the 14th Dalai Lama and and have um uh that person is in hiding. It's a secret as to oh, where that okay, person yeah. is. They yeah. have they have named their own. They they like even though they're officially atheistic, the 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 yeah. Chinese Communist Party also wants to control. Oh, they want to control religion. the narrative. Of it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So they'll they'll say like, oh, there there can be a four there 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 can be a fifteen Dalai Lama, no problem. But yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll pick him. It'd be interesting to see what happens. Um, and, but. What's interesting, actually, in that context is that, again, controlling the narrative in China, apparently as soon as the movie Kundun was announced, China, through its Shanghai film studio, rushed into production its own high-profile Tibetan epic titled Red River Valley. The $1.7 million production tells the story of a 19th century British mission to Tibet that pretends to be friendly while actually planning an invasion. Why? And again, so you have that idea of like, yeah, I know Chinese propaganda. Who would have told? But fair enough, though, there are that... stories in that, like you know, in the context, like yeah, oh yeah, there there be, it's Victor's yeah. painty yeah. stories and so on and so on. Like I mean, all, the emphasis it's all propaganda it? unless you win. Like I mean, it's it, 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 that that's it exactly. I mean, I think I think we discussed the podcast before. But one of the more interesting things about modern Chinese cinema is that it's basically American cinema from the eighties, but by China. So you have movies like China Salesman starring Steven Seagal and Mike Tyson. I still have watched that. China, it's amazing. Where China is going to Africa and is going to help protect Africa from these sleazy colonial Europeans and Americans if only Africa will listen to them. It is something to behold. It's basically like sort of Iron Eagle, but China. Yeah. I want to see The Rock um, kind of do more for China. Uh, <laughs> Give it time. Prison uh, Break uh, 5, yeah. Yeah. Matt Damon is going to They'll all go exactly. there and do it eventually. Like. They will, yeah. Something you mentioned there which I found kind of interesting and about the appointment of the Dalai Lama and something that I think is interesting in the context of the film and its kind of reverential attitude 
is the way in which the film seems, again, is very respectful, very dignified, and seems to largely accept Buddhism at face value. There's no real skepticism about it. But one of the things that I find interesting is the way in which the film repeatedly suggests, and I think very cleverly, that the Dalai Lama is not necessarily the manifestation of a literal divine force, but a reflection yes. of a collective belief. And again, you, you mentioned that sequence, the the Cain from Citizen yes. Cain sequence, which is masterful. It's, it's one of the best yeah. sequences in the it film. But the sequence where the kid is picking the, obviously, again, you know, the, the story we tell of the Dalai Lama, where he picks his former belongings, and that proves that he's the same soul in a different body. But when you watch that sequence, it's so well constructed by Scorsese that you're watching the teacher reacting to the child picking the objects. And while the sequence is played with the Philip Glass score that is reverential and awe-inspiring and majestic, if you wanted to, you could wonder if the child is simply seeing the reactions of the monks around him. Like he picks up the wrong cane and holds it for a solid 30 seconds while the reactions of the monks kind of frown. And then he puts it back and picks up the other one and they smile. And Did it with like, the bells okay, as well. Right Similarly with the bells yeah. as well. Like, um, there as well. Yeah. I, know, I, is... I think it's who's wagging the tail in that regard. And the, the need for somebody to step in. And to be... No, 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 no. The, the boy is top class. I know, he's, Take a, he's a good lad. Like. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a great lad. Well, he's, he's, uh, he's... He's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no doubt about it. This, this, this. This this boy is a reincarnation of the third. Sorry. Um, <laughs> now, if you'll excuse me, I need to get back to my horrors. Apparently, if you believe the gossip that's happening around the monastery, um, I do love how hazily they kind of treat that whole thing. Oh, he got sent away on uh, on business. He had to. He's not going to be round here anymore. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's he's arrested. He tried to kill one of us, and uh, oh, he died in a cell. Well, that conveniently wraps up all of the narrative threads, right? And again, I kind of like the idea that because this is a film from the Dalai Lama's perspective, you only see fragments of that narrative play out. You only see bits and pieces and you have to kind of intuit and put it but all it's, together. It's, it's such a POV his... film, though. Well, in it's, regard, like... Yeah. It's, it's, it's also a Scorsese POV because you have the rats. <laughs> you have, oh, yeah. Yeah, again, in The Departed, yeah. The same rat from The Departed. <laughs> same hopefully. rat from The Departed, yeah. Um, hopefully. He had a long-term career with Scorsese. The, well. the same person who wrangles that rat was also responsible for for yak wrangling, or they were in this. Or it was maybe it was two people within the same department, but it wasn't a separate. Credit. I'm really hoping it was Robbie Robertson who was you know couldn't do music, so <laughs> yeah, he just, just got him for this to give him a gig. Like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Philip, who? Wait, yeah. what? Uh, but I again, I do think that there is something kind of in that, and I think it ties back into what Andrew was suggesting: this idea of kind of like the Dalai Lama. And this idea of you being the person that you need to be, but it's also well, you yeah, being the person the world needs you to be. It's yeah, it's it's because it's the closing line in the movie where he's they, asked, you know, are you are you the Lord Dalai Lama? Are you the Lord Buddha? And his response is, I am the reflection of a moon on the water. You know, when you look at me and you see a good person, you should see you yourself. are seeing yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the idea that yeah, that maybe. That that sense of personhood that the Dalai Lama that's kind of you know, nice, though, right? Like yeah. it's a nice idea. Yeah. Like I, like I'm not religious at all, but I could, I could nearly buy that. As as cells and religion goes, it's as good a pitch as any. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, 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 it's it, it kind of it goes back to that idea of like like where um, he's told earlier on. It's like you you must know what to do. Yeah. Um, 
and that that kind of reflects um, from that character back onto us as a kind of an audience. I think, well. I think as well, you should um, look at maybe in the context of looking at old sitcoms on the TV, you should probably look at the Father Ted episode and go, the Tibetans, a great bunch of lads. Just, uh, <laughs> just the Father Ted episode. Yeah. For, you know, for uh, historic retroactive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Retroactive. I, kind so. of I, I don't well. see why not. I can't, I'm with that. <laughs> <laughs> it is worth noting, actually, because you mentioned the POV shots. And again, very, very Scorsese, because this is a Scorsese movie through and through. For you sure. mentioned you have the whip pans. The whip pans when he's talking with the older Dalai Lamas, where it whips to the side of the paint. Yeah, stuff. across great. the room. Really yeah, across the room into the reaction. Yeah, yeah. I think Scorsese's talking about, like, one of the great things about, like, he wanted to do, after he did, and I think we talked about this when we talked about Casino, like, after the sequence where Joe Pesci is beaten with the baseball bats, in Casino, Scorsese was like, right, I'm out. I just want a breather from all these films, all this violence, all this brutality. Um, and again, I think he's talked about like Age of Innocence as his most violent movie, because at least, you know, in Goodfellas and Casino, they baseball bat you in the face or, you know, in the back and then in the face, as it were. Um, but I do, I do think it's kind of interesting that he wanted to do this. This, I would argue, this reminds me a lot of Casino because you have that sense of constant movement. You have that sense of montage running through it. I think I argued that Casino... It's far stiller than... It is far, far stiller. It's it's yeah. much stiller than Casino and much stiller than Goodfellas. It's much more relaxed. Yeah, it's very and slowed in down. Like the the yeah. sense of constant movement, it, it, it's sometimes r- r- repeated movement, but it, it's like static. Yeah. So I, 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 yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know about the parallels. Okay, and that sense of kind of divinity and and kind of religion that runs through all of Scorsese's work. But I think that, you know, I I think I argued that Casino to me is about what you do when God's not looking. I think maybe, you know, you could look at Gundan and be, maybe it's about, you know, when God is looking or when spirituality or when religion is there. What right. happens in response? But even things like the, the recurring motif of the veils um, and the curtains and the idea of kind of like having the view obscured. Repeatedly in the film, you have the child's you know view literally covered with the blankets, the red sheets, for example, or yeah. even the pulling of the curtain uh, when he's kind of like being carried around in the cart and stuff like that. And again, that wonderful kind of visual metaphor, the idea of, again, that very spiritual and religious idea that there's a veil on the world that we don't see everything. And again, that idea of, of seeing the world as a child, the idea that, you know... Are you do an alternate? Doing alternate what? When you say, when you say, and again. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's more when you're, you're editing gonna, later. Yeah, you, I can be like, just cut that Choose in, just which take, one to put in. Take the one that works. Take the one that gets the, the strongest reaction from the room. No, when I say again, I mean, we've already talked about it being a film from a child's point of view. But the idea that children only see so much. And again, the low angle shots, the kind of tracking shots at almost ground level throughout the film. The idea of kind of looking up at the adult characters, the point of view shot from the kids' perspectives. But the idea in the film that kids only see so much of the world. They only hear so much of the world. They only get little snippets of conversation and have to construct context from that. But the idea that that is itself a religious metaphor, that it's like having your head draped in the red kind of, you know, the red cloth that's put over himself and, and the camera the, in, at certain points. Yeah, I, I mean, the... the It's not subtle, but... The, va- the veils um, also speak to a kind of a metaphor of um, reincarnation. They, they, because you they, get closer each time, isn't it? Yeah, well, in the, in, 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 the, in the sense of um, kind of the, um, the ideas of Buddhism kind of came over they they 
they they believe to to kind of Greek philosophy, where like Socrates spoke about the kind of river of forgetting. Yeah. Um, and that all knowledge was kind of remembrance. Yeah. That um, so that for um, they have those kind of childhood um, oh yeah, yeah. um scenes where where it slowly it's slowly lifted. Yeah, it's and 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 that's what growing up is. Is is kind of slowly revealing kind of the um, the person, yeah, or the the um, uh, the adult. Whether 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 that's something that you construct yourself, or whether that's something kind of more um, kind of spiritual that you're accessing, yeah. um, um, I suppose it doesn't it doesn't really matter. I think this movie works kind of on 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 both. On both kind levels, of, or yeah, 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 yeah. Again, worth worth noting again that Scorsese. It's amazing how Scorsese makes a movie about the Dalai Lama and makes it still a Scorsese movie because, of course, the Dalai Lama is a major cinema buff. Um, there's a cinema classic cinema yeah. montage here as well in terms of Scorsese's kind of pet obsessions and interests. But I do like that there's still that kind of shot of the eye, the emphasis on the eye, the emphasis of watching. You know, Scorsese's characters all being boyors after a fashion. The idea of kind of like the telescope and how important the telescope is, and like that that image that we mentioned from Scorsese's childhood and that came up in the you, opening that sequence. you see a reflection of his eye in yeah. the telescope yeah. as he's watching as well um, and the idea that like the first shot of the movie is a child's eye opening which again mirrors I think the last temptation of Christ has a similar sequence where it's the opening sequence is Jesus Christ's eye opening it's a, a literal awakening as it were which, but it's also... yeah you, you get the you get kind of Everest and the San Mandala yeah. and then the musical kind of cue um, yeah which 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 is really, really powerful. And yes, then um, the kind of this face of the child and the eyes opening. Yeah. Um, and again, lot, lots of... I saw it's the beginning crawl, which yeah. is kind of necessary. You have to have that because there's so, there's so much kind of... Uh, like, not as much as... <laughs> not as much as they... Um, um, as it transpired, not much of an audience. But whatever <laughs> audience you would have, might not uh, kind of have that context. I do. I do think though that there's there's chunks of the, particularly in the first half of the movie that reminded me kind of of a dry run of Hugo, uh, in lots of ways. Yes. Um, particularly around and you said it's at the cinematic scenes, the kind of the, the kids' viewpoints and stuff like that. You could see where Scorsese is going with something like that, and you could see it kind of running out to its natural point in technical terms in Hugo. I think. Absolutely. And I mean, like, it's notable that perhaps, you know, Scorsese realized this was one of his lesser seen films because you see a lot of it in some of his later films as well. That sequence of the Dalai Lama watching the newsreel footage, like silhouetted and haloed with the camera life as well. He borrows that for the aviator. That sequence where he's being talked to and the image is being projected on the face of the person talking to him is something that is also literally taken or literally like literally applied again in the aviator to great effect as well. I think it's kind of fascinating that like Scorsese even when he's making a movie about the reincarnated Dalai Lama on the other side of the planet, you still get that shot of the Dalai Lama with his telescope looking down on the world, which is the same shot that you got introducing Henry Hill peering out of his blinds as a child, watching the gangsters move across the street, which is the same experience that Scorsese himself has repeatedly talked about as a child with asthma, having to watch the world and watch the kids play and watch everything happen outside while you, he couldn't as well. Do you think that um, that? Oh, sorry. No, I was going to. I was going to suggest that your fan 
theory was that, that Scorsese <laughs> believes that, it, that he this is isn't the actually Lama. the fourteenth Dalai Lama. <laughs> but interestingly, interestingly enough, is, though, is the actual Dalai uh, Lama. Yeah, the, when he's uh, when he's when he becomes the actual. <laughs> we'll come back to that, Andrew. When he becomes the actual Dalai Lama, it's on the seventeenth of November, nineteen fifty, which is both mine and Martin Scorsese's birthday. Not nineteen fifty part of it, the seventeenth November part of it. So basically, I could be the fifteenth Dalai Lama in this kind of coincidence. Scenario. Yeah. I'm just saying. Well, yeah, it, it's it's 1933 though when <laughs> when the when the 13th one does, right? I think so. Yes. Yeah. 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 So like like they don't make it official, but he was always. <laughs> you always have the possibility, apparently. Yeah. Actually, yeah. in terms of the, he was like 17 year years old, which is which is how old um, which is actually that's how old I was when this movie was made. Listeners, is Andrew the 15th Dalai Lama? One of us is. Um, Let's see who it is at the end of this podcast. No, sorry. I've gotten my maths wrong. I was 20. Well, then you are definitely not the Dalai Lama with that attitude, (laughs) uh, to be honest. Wait, did you just say you were 20 in 1950? Let's move on. I feel like we need to call. I feel like we need to unpack this. Actually, Darren, I have an interesting one. One of the things I found watching it that I kind of compared this film to a little bit, and I'd be interested in your take on it, is the latest Terrence Malick film? Ooh, the uh, what? Damn it! The um, the one about nonviolence. What's yes. it called again? I could think of the original damn title it. for him. I can't remember what they renamed it. Uh, it's Raga Raga. Live I repeat. What? Live I repeat. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I would love to see Terence Malick's version. It's like a wonderful life or a beautiful life or something like that, isn't it? It's a notable life. A I'm life. just going to visit the fact machine and check. It's we're a hidden life. Fact machine. It's do, 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 we're, do. we're back, actually. He already named it. It's a, a hidden, hidden life. life. And that kind of God's lonely soldier against an oppressive force. And even some of the camera movements and the outdoor scenes. And that kind of inevitability of it really and, reminded me of it, and uh, the structuring of it yeah. as well. And it, yeah, like the, chapters the procession, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the procession oh. of like Chinese generals yes. who show up and tell yeah. you that oh. you need to cooperate, yeah. which I've is seen, exactly like a hidden. I've life. seen this. This is in the Tyrol, yes. isn't yeah. it? Yes, and yes, yeah. yeah, I love that. Me too. Beautiful. And, beautiful and yeah, did and and do you know what? You're you're absolutely spot on. This. this it, 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 it really did have that feel to it, the the the, the kind of slowness and the and the courage, and even the point that um, I made earlier of like of God being present, I guess, and that kind yeah, of feeling yeah. of being part of something important, even if like being part of a larger yeah, whole yeah, yeah, again. Yeah. Yeah. And I think both films have that common. And it's interesting. This came out in ninety seven when Malik was just kind of making his comeback with uh, the Tin Red Line. When he was line. kind of returning uh, with uh, the Tin Red Line, yeah. which kind of issued in the second age. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's ushered in the kind of second age. Sure. I mean, he'd obviously yet to see, you know, his favourite film, Zoolander, which yes. became a cinematic touchstone. Which, which was the one that brought back, really, in, uh, in a lot of ways. Like, yeah. yeah, that was what drew him back. Yeah. Malik sat in a cinema, watched Zoolander, and said, I have to make movies now. Uh, we're, we're only half joking. Well, no, he loves Zoolander. Zoolander. He's genuinely did. Yeah, he film. Yeah, he does. He, he's, he's programmed it at all the film festivals he runs. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I understand that. Me too. Yeah. I love it. Sorry, and, and this just can't see Andrew's reaction. There was just a kind of a like, how serious is this bit? Was the kind of reaction <laughs> that we were getting from from that. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, there definitely is. There definitely is that kind of sense of of kind of power and weight to it. And it's worth noting, actually. Sorry, go for it. And time. Yeah, and the passage of yeah, time, yeah. and like the. Again, the image of stones as well, which recur yeah. throughout this idea of kind of stones on the ground, but the idea of basically 
being a stone and being still and the weight and importance of that. Uh, because obviously you have the mountain of stones with the messages written on at yeah. the start. You have the kind of spirit post at the end as well. But you have the idea of kind of like picking up a rock and moving it. But even I think that Scorsese's talked about what was different for him about making Kundan, what was a challenge for him as a director, was the emphasis on inaction. In that generally when the camera pans back to the Dalai Lama or kind of he does a whip pan, yeah. the Dalai Lama's just sitting there. He's not even he's not even reacting. He's just sitting there and absorbing. And again, you can arguably see that in, say, the conversations with Mao Zedong as well, where he's literally just sitting there and absorbing what's being yeah. said. He's not he's reacting. Religion is a poison. Yeah. And, and, and the reaction shot on the Dalai Lama isn't, you know, fear, or outrage. It's just stoicism. It's just kind of taking it and bearing it. By the way, I love Mao Zedong's right often. He seems like a nice man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and they, um, his... Follow the, for follow, says Mao Zedong as he puts him in the car and sends him <laughs> off. The the Dalai Lama's, one of his very few reactions is when is when he tells kind of his, his regent, like, tell it to me straight what's yeah. actually going on here. And he says, oh, um, they're, um, they're getting children... To kill their parents. Um, murder their parents. To murder their parents. Which is the only, yeah. again, the, the like one of the few direct examples of violence in the movie because you get an actual blood spatter there and yeah. a reaction shot. And then and then you have the kind of dreams of just um, the sea of dead monks. It's an incredible shot. Um, it's like something from Kurosawa. It reminds me yeah. of something from uh, Kejimushu, is it? Yeah. Um, where you just have the pile of bodies and they're just kind mm. of like, you. they're all red and. It is, and again, like this is one of the things with Scorsese's editing here, where he says again, not a lot of kind of sharp cuts, but a lot of fades and stuff like that, and that the way in which it kind of blurs, and again, this ties into what you're saying about God being present and the slower pace of it, but the way in which it kind of blurs dream and yeah. reality at points, where you get these kind of sequences where the Dalai Lama is dreaming, but they're not necessarily kind of like weird dreams they're not necessarily out there they're kind of visions just like as well like almost yeah you know yeah an apocalyptic yeah. sense of it and i think shoemaker's work here is probably as good as anything she's done i would argue uh and it's it's not as well regarded or heralded but i'd put it right I up say there good fellas yeah you know, i like that you know i suppose best editing these days is more edited really i suppose but most editing most editing yeah and that's fair enough i guess but i in this i think there's they even that shot, Andrew was, uh, mentioned this shot where the, the, the guy is telling them everything that's actually happened. And there's this kind of four second cut of visually yeah. what's happening in blood killings. And you don't see anything, but it tells you absolutely everything. Like in that there's a viciousness yeah. to it. It's really impressive. Like it's really incredibly well done. Not surprisingly. I suppose, and he but flinches. Like, really and, and, and again, yeah, yeah. like again, he has a really visceral reaction yeah. to it as well. The idea that like. The Dalai Lama's pain is as much spiritual yes. as physical, yes. where he has that kind of reaction For to sure. seeing this imagery and even being confronted with that. Because you know, he talks about how, you know, I ask you to protect me from this or, you know, I ask you, you know, I'm asking you now to tell me what is going on as if, you know, the level of empathy that he has, the level of spiritual connection that he has, that if he were to open himself up, he would be destroyed by it. And he's, he is torn apart. It happens earlier as well. I think when he's a kid, isn't there a similar sequence where he clutches his heart? Yeah. Um, when he's confronted with something. Um, and again, it's it's very, very effective. And, and arguably, again, the fact that he reacts in those sequences rather than any other sequences is, is particularly striking and effective. Yeah. Um, what I want to draw attention to, actually, one of the small things that I noted in my research 
the film has, you could argue, this is uh, Martin Scorsese's big Quentin Tarantino movie. There are a lot of shots of people with shoes. There are a lot of shoe mm-hmm. shots, a lot of foot sort of fetishing going on here. Apparently, according to Scorsese... I feel like that was more to do with the shoes and less yes, to do with the, the feet. feet themselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, yeah let's not, like, let's not like give Marty as... a fetish where it one didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that part is like... I think you call it a fetish. <laughs> well, it's also only one movie. I also think that, that that's a factor here as well. Yeah. I do like the idea because I think what were we talking we were talking about casino. We were talking about how um, you know everybody was getting more violent in the nineties. So Scorsese had to up the ante by you know having Joe Pesci crush a man's head in the vice. I love the idea of Scorsese watching Tarantino, going, "You know what? I need to borrow from that Tarantino kid." Some shoe Deep. shots. That's what we're going with here. Shoe shots. But apparently, all of that came from a single detail that the Dalai Lama told him. When relating his life story, apparently, you know, with Harrison Ford and Melinda Matheson. Okay. Where the Dalai Lama recalled his visit with Mao Zedong. And it's that shot of Mao Zedong's feet after Zedong has said, you know, that this discussion of opium of the masses and this idea that religion needs to be stamped out. And it was in that moment the Dalai Lama realized that those shoes were going to end up crushing um, Tibet. It was a point of realization. It wasn't, you know, necessarily any of the, the horror stories that he heard or the reports, the violence it was the idea of Zedong's attitude and the image of his feet and his yeah. shoes and the kind of heavy clang of them. And I love that Scorsese takes that image and like seeds it throughout the film. Retro- and I think, and I think even that it. scene, which I really love that because Andrew and yourself alluded to it earlier about the kind of the no victory at the end. There's no big uh, bibliography kind of or biography kind of massive triumph there. He just basically scrapes along to the border. But even that shot where he looks back to wave to the guys on horseback and it's this shot of he sees them all dead with the blood on the horse and stuff it's really evocative really beautifully austere and kind of terrifying in its implication because he knows he's getting away but he knows that's not the same for everyone and the, how many the, dead bodies the, and, the, and as you mentioned the shoe like the boots coming down and coming down the big way like uh, in, the, in the place like it's yeah. really, and the extent really to which he is Tibet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and they, they set that up very kind of touchingly because there is a lot earlier in the movie of like, uh, oh, don't worry, like the Dalai Lama will never leave. Yeah. He's coming back. I see, um, I see a return. Yeah. 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 And the idea that like, again, that. this idea of reincarnation. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The idea of reincarnation is the ultimate return. Yes. It's the idea that like the Dalai Lama will always return. And yet ironically, you end up with this situation where he can't. Yeah. Like and the tragedy of that as well, which is kind of striking. And I also do love the, and again, it one of the criticisms of the film is that it takes itself very seriously. It's very stoic. It's very heavy, and it does lack some of the Scorsese kind of humor. I do love the recurring joke about the sheep, which again is a nice thematic yeah, one as yeah. well, where the Dalai Lama can't let the sheep be, sheep be slaughtered. But like them. throughout, it's like you know, yeah, that's it. Where he's having the conversation with the Chinese, and he just calls Points. the aid over, and he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 It's like it's you know short, what? To do. It becomes shorthand after a point, like. Which yeah, I really which I like. Kind of adore. Yeah. Um, I kind of does a lot in terms. I think of I think it is heavy, but I, but I think I think it it treads lightly considering the heaviness of the story. I think it's light at its feet in yeah. relative terms, which is impressive enough in and of itself. Yeah, I mean, is this a family friendly Scorsese movie as far as these go? Like, kind this of side is. Of I was only thinking th- that today. Like, I think teenagers would be okay with this. Like, I think it it probably some stuff would be a little heavy, but I think a lot of it's implied more than anything you particularly see. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a really mm. interesting story for younger people in, in the context of historical and indeed parallels now. Yeah. 
it felt a bit it feels a bit weird to say this but it kind of reminds me a bit of spielberg the kind of like again scorsese doesn't normally do childhood wonder but he does it so well he does it so well in hugo obviously yes he which does we'll be talking about later in the season but he does it very well mm-hmm. here what yeah it okay. never, scorsese <laughs> season never ends what? andrew <laughs> No, I realized that early. <laughs> I realized earlier on that that I had probably seen that written down like several times, but I was still I still don't fully understand why. Um, it's fair. It's very don't worry. Fair we'll, we'll we'll explain why when we get there. Um, all right then. Um, in turn, sensing the mood, reading the mood in the room. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about, Cundin? Anything that we haven't discussed already? Anything jumping out at people? Oh, I, I think Deacons uh, uh, is an interesting oh, yeah. one because. Yeah. The films, it's kind of weird. The films he kind of gets, he wins awards for are not the films in some ways that win the, that he probably should win awards for. And I know cinematography is a lot more showier than it in a lot of ways, or certainly has become that award that it's become a, maybe a... Most rather than yeah, best. Yeah, and I think the work he does here is, is quite simple in a lot of ways, but it's extremely impressive. Like, I think... That the, you alluded to kind of the vast kind of Western vistas earlier, and I think that's there. I think the the imagery around the the kind of visions or dreams that Adam has are really, really stunningly brought to life, and but done in such a way that's not. Please give me an Oscar. Uh, yeah, and that's the heavily stylized, particularly for Scorsese, but they're quite well restrained, and and uh, like they're not hitting you on the head with them as such. And I think it, it's a remarkable yeah, work that- for Deacons. That opening kind of twisting shot with 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 the child, yes. the, the the kind of panning shot where you can see the um, him with the two insects, yes. where it then goes um, in oh, yeah. for kind of like a close up. The um, the way and the way the way as well, kind of the um, the editing cinematography. And music kind of knit together, yes. so yeah. effectively. It's symphonic, yeah. like it's I almost think like it a music video. Yeah, it is. I think it's yeah. really it, glorious. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of Coin Escazzi, and again, not just because of the Phil Glass score, but that kind of sense of having a mood, and particularly like the shots of like the shots of the the mountains, the shots of the clouds moving over the mountains, the helicopter shots of kind of like the the scenery and kind of like following the river up over the yeah. edge of the mountain to a lake and stuff like that. Yeah, this this is one of those um, glass kind of scores, which is more like kind of what he does for operas and ballets, where where where, it fe- where the music is very much for the film. Yeah, yeah. It, it's very yeah. good. As opposed to being like the Truman Show, which we talked about, where yeah, it's like, here's your Philip Glass starter set. Or stuff like Jane, where, where, where it's kind of... Um, Philip Glass songs you've already heard with 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 maybe a bit of I mean you could accuse most uh, Philip Glass albums of that it, I suppose if you if you wanted to be harsh but I like uh, that Philip Glass piece which one all of them <laughs> right yeah yeah um, but I I do want to say actually in the cinematography that sequence where his father dies yes um and his body is kind of left with the vultures that's an incredible and sequence dismembered. It's beautiful. It's it's incredibly moving. And yeah. again, mostly done silently as well. Yeah, very evocative. Mostly done with visual storytelling. Yeah, fantastic as well. Worth noting as well, actually, um, because Catherine Scorsese has been a regular presence on this podcast. Oh, yes. In terms of it's celebrating her contributions, her. particularly in, in, you know, Taxi Driver, in, in Goodfellas, um, and obviously in Casino as well. But uh, this movie was dedicated to her. She, yes. She passed away. Bless her. Um, and you do... 
I wonder if you don't get a sense of that in the emphasis on the relationship between the Dalai Lama and his mother. That kind of plays throughout as well. It's not uh, no, really no developed doubt. or No, it's not, but it's a nod, yeah. I think, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. I think Scorsese's talked about that, about how he remembers that she she was alive until the filming wrapped and then as soon as he went home, she passed. And he remembers thinking that that was almost like she had given him the okay to make the movie, ah, if that makes sense. I'd be crying she, for Christ's sake, Darren. Happening. What are you doing to me? Like, so, sorry. I'd be in buckets um, here in a minute. Like, God bless that woman. Um, but yeah, she, again, again, fantastic. And again, he's talked about how during the 90s when he made Age of Innocence, the same thing happened with his father yes. as well. Um, which again, very, very heartbreaking. Um, very, very affecting as well. Um, but yes, in terms of other stuff, in terms of things we haven't talked about uh, with regards to Kundan. Uh, the super super no, performances no, no. in it. Uh, Ooh, the, the, yes. the, 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 the various actors that play the Dalai Lama are terrific. Like they're, they're like they have that, particularly the younger kids where you have to have that kind of sense of presence and innocence at the same time. It's And it, it has to be directed really well as well. I think it's really, really smartly cast as a film. I think it's terrific. It has to. It's an incredible kind of um, credit has to go to the casting. As I would well, agree because it's agree. It's, it's, yeah. it's essentially just to be, to to, to be be next yeah. They're yeah. great. They're really um, great. Yeah, I think um, I'm not certain, but I think one of them is actually um, the Dalai Lama's niece. Or um, oh, really? I'm not, I'm, okay. I'm not sure. Actually, I'm, I might be wrong about that because I. I um, because I'm going to recommend something in a moment that um, uh, where the person just happens to have the same name <laughs> as, as somebody else. That's our jumping yeah, off yeah, point yeah, in our yeah. connection. Um, it's worth singling out. It's Ellen Lewis who did the casting on this. And Great work. You're entirely right, right. right. Like many, many of the actors in this didn't act in, in anything else. Don't have any other screen. It doesn't feel that way, though. It really yeah, doesn't no, feel that way, which is their standing work. And many of them were acting in what was for them a second language or a language yes. that they had learned specifically for the film as well. Because Scorsese had said, look, this is a Martin Scorsese movie about the Dalai Lama with no white guy in it. It's already going to be a tough yeah, sell. You can't do it. If I, I do it into, yeah. yeah, if I do it in Tibetan with English subtitles, there is no way that this is going to get. Yeah, that, you're not getting 30 million for that. Like, you're not. <laughs> yeah. like, it's, it's, you're not. Yeah. You're getting 2 you million and you can go. Oh, hold on. But Mel Gibson. In Aramaic. Yeah, yeah. I think there may be a slight difference. Jesus Christ is a religious figure that some Western audiences are more familiar with. Yeah. In spite of him being like a Middle Eastern. It might be the exception that proves the rule in many ways. And it costs very little as well. So I think. 30 million for this, you know, best believe it's been. And I, I do kind of wonder if Scorsese had known what was going to happen with it, if he just had thrown his hands up and said, feck it, we're doing it. Yeah, today. I think he might have, um, <laughs> uh, to be honest. Because there is something kind of vaguely naive when you read we that. We kind quote, of like, understand uh, how we couldn't find this. Yeah. <laughs> if, that were, if that were the case. <laughs> that's that's fair, know? I suppose. It's um, like the... The, the 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 version of this that came out in the theaters was in <laughs> Tibetan with no English subtitles, and eventually they but, compromised. Uh, yeah, yeah. compromise. <laughs> kind of allowed his vision because again, like that's that's one of the great things about Scorsese as a director is like he will always talk about how he wanted his work to be accessible and he wanted to be like Spielberg and Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas and like have mass audiences like see his yeah. films and embrace them, and then. Whenever Scorsese is given like complete creative freedom, he makes something like New York, New York, and can't for the life of him understand why, figure out why people. 
yeah, why people didn't turn out in their droves. Because they're idiots. Um, so he should have turned it. out for New York. New York, it's great. Um, all right, then. Um, anything else we want to talk about? Anything that we haven't discussed already? Anything jumping out at people? Um, there's not much food waste. I don't think there's any inappropriate no, I, smoking here. No, I think you're okay in that. No. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, they ate his dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and they look, they look like yeah. real vultures. Like, they be CGI vultures now. Um, yeah. I kind of appreciate oh, There is some CG in the movie, which is, I guess, kind of fair enough because they're trying to um, well, uh, recreate the Himalayas. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a bit of Mate uh, in Morocco. Walls, doesn't it? Yeah. look like to me. That kind of. And within uh, the castles yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that on the edge of the frame. Which I really yeah, like. It's like not. The... not it, I, I, I didn't think the matte painting was great. I, I, I like um, that one, though. I, I, but I, I like that as a thing. I like recognizing that heightened yeah. kind yeah, of I, like. I do, yeah. yeah. I do. I do. I find that really interesting. Yeah. I generally like matte painting. <laughs> like, I'm a big Robocop fan. Yes. <laughs> Obligatory Robocop. Who is reference. That, I didn't yeah. think we were going to get there this week, but we did. Thank you, Jay. For <laughs> Thank that. you, Jay. That's um, all right. But I, it, it, it is, again, like this reputation Scorsese has for being kind of cranky and old-fashioned, but he, he was using CGI. He did yes. use CGI for this. He used CGI for Casino as well. Yeah, and yeah. obviously the whole, like, de-aging of Robert De Niro in the Irish. Like, the man is very like tech-savvy. Like, he always has been. Like, he, he, he understands yeah. what he's well, doing. movies... Yeah. His movies are kind of like uh, roller coasters. They're, they're, you know, <laughs> you you get on one and you forget that you've been on it half an hour later. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're just kind of you know silly sort of diversions from real cinema. Know, from real cinema. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um. <laughs> He's always um, just so, being trying to push cinema in this direction, like more digital, more three D movies. Yeah. Yeah. I hear he really wants to direct a Marvel movie. I hear that's his big ambition. Um, <laughs> to be fair, he did. He did yeah. actually literally say if he was a young filmmaker today, he probably would be making a Marvel movie. He or probably would do one to give him some. Sure, like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Ryan Coogler does it. You know, for example. So what's where's it, the it can be match? done? Oh, he would have gotten cancelled. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. That is very fair. I don't think he would have made it past demented sex demon yeah. uh, into the yeah. Monday movie Grandpa. Uh, yeah. Into I think in our show notes. I think in, in this set of show notes will include the thirst trap Scorsese. Um, Incredible as well. pictures. Cuddly movie thirst traps. Awesome. Uh, thirst thirst trap Scorsese. All right, then, uh, with that in mind, then, um, so at the end of each podcast, we ask our guests to recommend something for listeners, something you're enjoying at the moment, something you'd like to draw people's attention to. So to give Jay a chance to think about this answer, and because Andrew has already quite literally said he has one lined up. Super. I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Okay, so something very, uh, I mentioned the Philip Glass uh, Kundun soundtrack, um, and I will tell people to check that out. If you like that, another something you might like, um, which relates a lot to this movie, is that Philip Glass also did a the soundtrack for the 2018 documentary The Last Dalai Lama? Question mark. Um, uh, <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the soundtrack has been released in 2020. It is uh, featuring Tenzin... So it means uh, it should so, be out within the next five years. Well, it's on Spotify. I, I so, know, I'm kidding. I'm yeah. just referencing the fact that 2020 feels like it's been... A, a really does. Right, right. It's been, it's been a decade or three. The, it's... Um, and the... Um, that's a collaboration with Tenzin Chogyal, is his name, who's a Tibetan singer who now lives in Australia. I got confused because Tenzin Chogyal is also the name of the Dalai Lama's older brother. 
who is who is also called Ingari Rinpoche because he, he was also um, reincarnated ah. um, from a spiritual They're just like buses, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, they just, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's it. In the same family, the same as, family as well. All right, then. And Jay, what would you recommend? Oh, sorry. sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, wait, I'd, sorry. I'd, 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 I'd also... Sorry um, I'd also recommend, I think I mentioned earlier, um, if you're checking out more Philip Glass, um, I quite like Akhenaten. I know I've recommended it here before, but one that I haven't recommended was, um, or is, I should say, um, Aguas de Amazonia. It's um, it's not an opera, it's a ballet, or it's music for a ballet. And it the different songs, and it represent different... Uh, rivers of the Amazon waters. Have you seen? Um, the, have you watched the ballet on YouTube or anything like that? Is it is it worth seeing? Um, I don't. I don't know how many times it's been produced. The, okay, the, okay. the um the recording that I have listened to is a collaboration between himself and Wakti, who are a Bra- Bra- Brazilian band. But um, um, in no, I I I don't. I I'm not familiar with with any of the actual staging of it. No, no. Right. Right. And Jay, what would you recommend? Um, I just watched something very recently, and I think it's interesting enough. And I don't know if anybody's seen. I don't know if it's been properly shown on TV here, but you know there are ways. Um, which is um a TV show from the states called How Appropriate for the Film We've Discussed. Indeed. Uh, I am the knight, which is uh stars Chris Pine. And this is oh, this, yes, this the Patty noir. Jenkins. Uh, the Paddy Jenkins kind of co-created, directed the first episodes. Carl Franklin directed two episodes. Victoria Mahoney directed two episodes. Six episodes, kind of short, kind of season about a tangential murder to the murder of the Black Dahlia and an investigation in kind of 60s, I think, um, Hollywood. And it, it quite Elroy, quite strange, interesting ways. If you've read any James Elroy kind of... Uh, LA Confidential, Big Nowhere kind of stuff. This will be very familiar to Obviously, the Black Dahlia's book itself would recommend it. But this is really visually interesting. Pine is the best Chris, and he's really, really good in it. Uh, yeah. I, I think he's a terrific actor. And he's really good. Obviously, he's in association with Jenkins from the Wonder Woman films. Um, and it, it, it's really well done. It's nothing you haven't seen before in a lot of ways, but just really stylishly made. And it's kind of gone under the radar. I haven't seen many people mention it uh, much. And uh, yeah, and six episodes, so you be you, you can knock it out in an afternoon slash evening. It's really good. Yeah, as I recall, it had the misfortune to kind of come out in February March when everybody was worried about the literal end of the Indeed. world. Indeed, uh, it, it it kind of fell flat a little in the states. It's got a bit of a reevaluation. People are, I think, uh, Angelica Bastian has written a little bit about Angelica it. Bastian yeah, Vulture, isn't yeah, it? yeah. I think she's written a little bit, or she certainly is a big fan of it. And so I kind of think it took it from her recommendation to kind of check it out. And uh, I very much recommend. It. Really, really good. Cool. And again, traditionally on this podcast, what I've been doing is I've been recommending the Scorsese stuff that I've been doing as I've been charting his filmography while using the season as an excuse. And also reminding Andrew that we are not, in fact, covering every Scorsese. It just feels like we or are. are we? Um, so I recommend... <laughs> dun, dun, dun. But yes, I, I actually uh, rewatched The Last Temptation of Christ and oh. absolutely adored it. It it's is great, a fantastic it? film. I love and it. It's great Have you seen all me. the other ones before what? that? Um, yeah, I want the uh, Temptation of Christ one. The first Temptation <laughs> of Christ. The first Temptation. The, the second temptation, temptation. Yeah. The penultimate Temptation. The, uh, yeah, the, I feel like you can jump in. Yeah. Um, the ante penultimate. Yeah. The pre ante penultimate. The pro pre ante penultimate. 
and, and then they tried to jump off onto yeah. the passion as a spin-off, but it just didn't work, I'm afraid. I, I went down um, but it. no, I, yeah, it's great. <laughs> but uh, it is absolutely fantastic. And it's great that it's gotten a reappraisal off the back of it. Um, and also because it is literally the only uh, Scorsese thing that you can watch to fill the gap between Casino and the movie we just discussed. Martin Scorsese talking for three hours and three quarters about how much he loves cinema in Martin Scorsese, A Personal Journey Through, the, through American Cinema. Have you seen cinema. that? I did. I watched it the weekend. Oh. It's on BFI Player. I've watched it all the time. Yeah, uh, and you have BFI marvelous. Player? Uh, yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. Um, why are you surprised by that? Because you don't have a British bank account. That means uh, nothing. You can just but... ways around that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say anything uh, because okay. China or, and or Disney Oh, no, there, there, there are legal ways to pay for the BFI is what I'm saying. There are absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And the personal history to American cinema is incredibly sweet, reverential. And, and so great, so... so much great stuff in it. Like stuff that you really want to and watch and rewatch. It's like literal prime movie grandpa. It, it's the moment it's that flick well switches. That's, yeah. Because it's like, because you have that run of like, you know, that New York stories and kind of Cape Fear and kind of, you know, movies around then where you have Scorsese being like, well, I'm a dad now and I have to deal with that stuff. And then like a personal history happens. So like, yep, yeah, lovable movie grandpa. Uh, and he's quite literally like, you know, I'm just going to talk about what I like about cinema for three and three quarter I will, hours. I will point out there's, um, there's a four hour documentary did on Italian neorealism. Uh, oh, which, that's up next, Jay. Which is astonishing. And it's a film education yeah. in the sense he breaks down scenes, why they work, how they work. It is incredible to watch. You'll blitz through it. It's so good. He absolutely, and again, like again, that enthusiasm yes. on it as well. There's a great moment where he gets the end of the three hours and three quarters. And he's like, well, I guess we've reached the end because... I could go on for longer. But he can't. But, 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 yeah, but I feel like I've taken enough of your time. But he you also, know, like, doesn't he, I would watch does, it. Doesn't he go into the thing where he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to kind of criticize he, his peers People he's as worked well with, his friends like, yeah, yeah. and contemporaries. So he and stopped like, at he, certain points. His own, his, yeah, his own history becomes part of yes. kind of history yeah. as well, which is, yeah. And again, lovable movie grandpa, basically. Prime lovable movie grandpa. God bless him. Um, so I would wholeheartedly recommend that. If you like Scorsese or if you just want a kind of a broad sweep of kind of American cinematic history. And let's be honest, right, if then, you're listening if you to these look, podcasts, you better believe you like Scorsese. Hope, hopefully you like Scorsese. Yeah, and you have loads of time. <laughs> yeah, we're gambling on this. As we have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're only missing like a podcast episode and a half, really. Indeed, um, yeah. If you watch that. Yeah. We know who you are. <laughs> we have all your personal yeah. data. There's all uh, other tone. Sorry, I watched The Dark Knight recently, so I'm like, and only one of you. Um, but yes, but yes. Uh, what was I about to say? So, Jay, if people yes. are looking to find you online, where can they find you? Uh, at Jay Kyle on Twitter, as always. All right, I'm going to give a personal shout out here as well. I have started doing a YouTube videos with The Escapist. Um, so you can check those out online. They launched in early September. I am excited and terrified at the opportunity that it represents. Um, so I'm hoping that they go well. Today, I'm the TV, tomorrow, the world, Darren. And I'm hoping you can find them still online and haven't been erased after some sort of horrible scandal three episodes in. It was just a snafu. Um, I was wondering. <laughs> yeah. I, no, what I, I actually said was. Yeah. Oh, that, that, that is makeup you're wearing. Yeah, live. And it's kind of streaming. I'm like Batman. I'm Darren like, has been bronze. <laughs> yeah. I'm like I'm like Robert Pattinson in the Batman trailer at the moment. It's kind of streaking. But no, uh, and also, um, and I don't know if this is maybe the first time Andrew's hearing about this. I am. I'm also podcasting with the Escapists as well, actually. Um, oh, amazing! Yeah. How do you find so the goddamn my, time, Darren? Jesus Christ! Myself, it's the generous Jack Packard and the brilliant Bob Chipman uh, talking about movies once a week on the Escapist Movie Podcast, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. or Temp, if you will. 
um, oh, as nice. well. So you can find us wherever good podcasts. I know we're very, very proud of that. I like Apparently that. Apparently, it's hell for SEO. Uh, Apparently, I've been told not to actually call it that. But hey, what are they going to do? Fire, fire me? me. <laughs> I'd like to see this right. <laughs> <laughs> Four weeks in, Darren was removed yeah, for personal fired. reasons. <laughs> yeah. You're with me, Jay. You also want Darren fired. Yes, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of now, like so. <laughs> I, I love the Condon-esque closing test. Darren hopes to one day return, return. to the Escapist Movie <laughs> Podcast. No, if that isn't the perfect um, final line for this, <laughs> perfect. All right, then, and then. We talked earlier in the podcast about how back at the start of the season of Scorsese, we didn't actually give our two co-hosts wild cards that they could pull to allow us to discuss a random Scorsese movie not on the list. But we did decide halfway through that we were doing that. Andrew played his this week and we talked about Kundan. Jay, I believe you are playing yours next week. Yes. What Scorsese movie, not on the 250, are we going to be talking about next week? Uh, we are going to be talking about the much maligned, much misunderstood, much underappreciated and messy as hell. Uh, Martin Scorsese picture, Gangs of New York. And I mean, yes, it might be a movie that is too violent for a Buddhist monk who greatly appreciated Kundan, but it is true to Scorsese's nature. But Marty, Join I us liked next it. week. <laughs> <laughs> Gangs of New York, I liked it. Um, on that note, Thank take you. it easy. Thanks again, Jay. Bye. Bye.